Welcome to the OKC First Church of the Nazarene podcast. At OKC First, we are learning to do three things. Friendship with God, friendship with one another, and open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. A very familiar passage of Scripture, and those are always fairly challenging passages of Scriptures uh, for your pastor because Sometimes when you preach on a very familiar passage of Scripture, people sort of check out early like, oh, I know this one. I'll go ahead and work on my uh, baseball lineup or whatever it might be. But there are some really important things that we need to hear from this passage of Scripture. And in fact, um, each week, because this is such an important book, I think, this is such an important book of the Bible, each week we're putting something like this in your worship folders. And uh, this is provided so that you can, as we move along, you might have something there that you would want to, to jot down. We're going to talk about today the sower, the seed, and also the gospel. And I uh, want to start by showing you a, a, a pretty uh, familiar, some of you may recognize this right off the bat. Where is this? Somebody who knows. Where is this? Yeah, this is on campus down at OU. This is actually a sculpture that's entitled The Sower. Now, uh, something I didn't know about it, this is actually the face of the sculpture is actually David Ross Boyd, who was the first president of OU. And he is a guy who actually, in the process of walking around, walking the, the highways and byways of Oklahoma, talking about the importance of education, he actually, every time he had a major speech, he planted a tree. So there's a lot of ways in which, and he planted a tree because he said, this is the way that we seed the ground. This is, education is the way that we seed the ground and we make positive change. We, we, we seed the ground with education. And so to commemorate each one of those speeches, he would plant a tree. And so that is his likeness there. And we will use that likeness as we talk about this very familiar passage, a sower went out to sow. Now, you'll notice there in verse 1, it says that same day. We need to talk about that day. That day was a tough day for Jesus. That same day is having reference to chapter 12. Now, if you wanted to look back a little bit at chapter 12, you would recognize that chapter 12 did, in fact, uh, look like a pretty tough day for Jesus. And can we say this? Jesus was chronically human, chronically normal, and at times had bad days. Is that all right? You need to know that there, there were days that were particularly tough for Jesus. And I'm telling you, chapter 12 was one of those days. In the course of chapter 12, Jesus was resisted, resisted. This gospel message that's all about life and hope and health and help. Why wouldn't everybody just snap this up? I don't know. I still don't know. But sure enough, people resisted. There were people who stood up and resisted out loud. There were people who said, Jesus, what you're saying is so far beyond the realm of the traditional, we find it to be dangerous, and we don't like your message, and frankly, we don't like you. Jesus is at some point in chapter 12 told, you must have a demon. That's the only way you can cast out demons. You must know them all. <laughs> at the end of chapter 12, even Jesus' family seem to be embarrassed by him. They send word to Jesus. They have someone whisper in Jesus' ear, and this is the Middendorf Revised Standard Version, but here is the messaging. That'll be enough, Jesus. Let's go ahead and go home. We're mildly embarrassed. Don't know who you think you are, but we think, as your family, it's time we get you home and in bed. 
It's one thing to have this pushback from the Pharisees. You kind of almost expected that. The scribes, you kind of expected that too because Jesus all the time was wandering beyond the boundaries where the scribes were concerned. But to have your own family wonder whether or not you were legit, whether or not you actually had something of worth to say, to have your own family seemingly intimate, we are embarrassed by you. That would be the toughest part for me. In response, Jesus says, okay, who are my mother and my brothers and my sisters? It's these people, those who do the will of my Father in heaven, and it's a killer line. (laughs) It's a killer line. I just don't know that he actually felt any better after delivering a killer line. So I think a somewat anguished Savior a somewhat anguished Messiah goes where he goes to try to get some space. But when you're Jesus, you don't often get very much space (laughs) because by now the crowds have caught on. This Jesus is something special and he says incredible things. And not only that, this Jesus does incredible things. And so Jesus, though he's trying to get some space, it really looks to me like he's trying to get some space. He does that quite a bit. Just tries to find some headspace to think and maybe just sort of calm down. He does not get it this day. In fact, so many people follow him to the waterfront that he gets into a boat, pushes out away from the shore a little bit. And this is the way it went way back when. He sat down in the boat, and then the congregation of the audience stayed standing while he spoke. Now again, I can empathize with Jesus if at any point during his ministry he asked himself this question. Why do some people get it while others don't? As your pastor, I can tell you it is fascinating. And someday someone's going to do an incredible science experiment or maybe even write a killer book. It is a really fascinating thing that two different people could hear the exact same words and receive them differently. One like a drink of very cool water that refreshes the soul all the way down to your belly button. Amen. And others like, how dare you say this sort of thing to us in in church? Beyond that and beyond a sermon, it is interesting and befuddling to see that some people get it and some people don't. Do you see that? Do you see that? Do you see that across the landscape of faith, let's say, do you see that some people get it and some people don't? Beyond that, are you, like me, interested when you see someone who gets it but doesn't look like they should get it? Or someone who doesn't get it who really should? Do you see that? I see it. I'm sure you see it. I'm sure Jesus sees it. I'm sure Jesus sees it. As a matter of fact, I think Jesus is working through this as he tells this really important parable. I'm sure Jesus is working through this reality that that Jesus can stand up and speak 
and teach and preach and pastor and minister and all of those words and all of those movements can be received differently by different people and he will look up and say, oh, these people that I didn't expect to get it really get it and these people over here who really should get it really don't. And this parable seems to be Christ's way of helping all of us to see that some people get it and some people don't. And maybe we can draw some sort of conclusion that will help us to understand whether or not we are getting it. And if for some reason we are not, what we can do about it. So, a couple things about chapter 13. Jesus ministering to this crowd now, it's not just the disciples. It may not just be believers. It might be a a very wide variety of people. People who might be representative of the different kinds of soils that we heard Kaylee read about just a minute ago. And Jesus speaks to all of these people in parables and engages the imagination. Jesus does not do fill-in-the-blank sermons, and all God's people said, because Jesus recognizes that faith operates at a much deeper level than just the cognitive, right? It's more than just convincing you of an argument. This faith thing is about life. The way you live, the way you decide, the way you parent, the way you are married, the way you work, the way you drive, God help us. This is about all of life, and in that it is about all of life, you have to have a much larger view of all of life and all of faith than what can fit into a little blank. And so he speaks in parables to engage the width and the breadth of their imagination. Now, not all parables come with help, but this particular parable comes with help. And to me, I receive the help that that Jesus gives us with with this parable. He actually tells us how to read and understand and interpret the parable. Very grateful for that, Jesus. If you don't mind, could you do that for the entirety of the book of Revelation? Thank you. But we get it here in Matthew 13. We get it for this parable. And in some way, this help that Christ offers us after telling this parable, is a little bit like the map that I always have to have when I'm in a mall. You know which map I'm talking about? The directory map. And you know what I'm looking for when I get to that map? Yep, I'm looking for the sticker that says, what? You are here. (laughs) You are here. I need it when I'm at the shopping mall. I need it when I'm at an amusement park of some kind. I need it anywhere where you can have a map that says you are here. I need that map that says you are right here because it orients me. It helps me to know where I am and helps me to know where I need to be. Man, this is good news and bad news and then good news again. This parable screams, you are here. The good news is this parable will tell you, okay, you're right here. The bad news is you may not like where here is. The good news is you can get somewhere else. Listen, says Jesus, perhaps with a little edge on his voice. A sower went out to sow. All right, can we talk about this sower a little bit? And this is some of what could go in this, in this page right here. Can we talk about this sower a little bit? This sower does not seem at first glance to be very good at what he's doing. 
I mean, this was a, a fairly poor population, a fairly poor part of the world. Seeds, seeds were valuable. Either this person has terrible aim, <laughs> terrible aim, or there's something else going on here. Right, because we, we, we've just already heard it read today. The sower goes out and he's just throwing seed everywhere. It seems indiscriminate, just as if there's all kinds of seed to go around. The sower does not live in a kingdom of scarcity. The sower lives in a kingdom of abundance and is just throwing seed and it just finds whatever ground it's gonna find and only a quarter of the ground turns out to be good. So indiscriminately, this sower is just sloshing speed around, the seed around, and some of it finds its way to a very hard path. The sower should be careful not to throw seed on a very hard path because birds come and they eat it. The sower, first thing we can see about the sower is this. The sower seems to be indiscriminate. Indiscriminate. He's just doing what a sower does, just throwing seed around and really does not seem to be paying a whole lot of attention to where the seeds land. His intention is to scatter as much seed as possible everywhere. In other words, hear, hear it like this. All the ground is considered by the sower as worthy of seed. Okay, hear, hear that, right? A couple of you got it, and some of you didn't. We've already been talking about this, so hear, hear that again, okay? That was really, I worked on that, worked on the delivery and everything, so I'm gonna say it again. <laughs> the sower considers all the ground to be worthy of seed. Oh, that's so much better, thank you. So the sower is indiscriminate. The sower is wasteful, some would say. Now, I don't think the sower would say that because the sower considers all the ground to be worthy. But some would say that the sower is wasteful. In other words, we could say it like this. The sower is willing to risk seed anywhere. The seed. What are we talking about here? Well, there, there are a lot of different things we could say, right? I, I, think, I think Christ is going to tell us in pretty clear terms later on that the, the, the seed itself is the good news. It's the gospel, right? Let's, let's use a little different language. The, the seed is chance, hope, possibility, potential. And yeah, I, I, all of that to me uh, resonates with this concept of good news, gospel. What Christ offers us, what the sower offers all of us and scattering all the seed around is another chance, another chance, more hope, more hope. A chance for a changed life, a chance for a new trajectory. Everywhere, everywhere, all the ground deserves seed. Everybody, the seed is hope, possibility the possibility of a new future. It's interesting. Uh, I don't know how often the church, this church or any other church, is reminiscent 
of the sower who goes out to indiscriminately scatter seed. I mean, I've been a part of a couple of, of different committees and councils who think about strategic ways to plan a church. And, and I have been around these councils and committees when they have done really, really hard work to study the demography. Like, is this gonna be a place? Because we want to make sure with limited resources, we wanna make sure with limited resources that we make maximum impact. And so we're gonna study and study and study so that our scattering of our seed can be sort of laser-guided. And I gotta tell you, that is not the posture of this sower or this seed. <laughs> it's almost as if this sower has a handful of seed and is just walking around going whoosh, whoosh. Let's see what happens now. Whoosh, let's see what happens now. Now, some of you are careful business people and careful planners, and I'm going to make you really nervous, right? I'm sorry about that ahead of time. Maybe we plan too much. Maybe sometimes we substitute careful planning for trust in the God who knows nothing of our fear of scarcity. Maybe, maybe, Maybe there would be more churches and Christians if we were a little bit more like the sower. Let anyone with ears listen. Now let's get to this last part where Jesus tells us what's going on with this parable. So when anyone hears the word of God and does not understand it, well, that's an important term, understanding the evil one comes and snatches away what is sown in the heart. This is what is sown on the path. Jesus is in this parable drawing a distinction between hearing and hearing and understanding. The church hasn't, the pastor hasn't, Christianity hasn't finished its work if we are only thinking about how we can get all these different people to hear the word. That, that's, we're not, none of us are done. In fact, you, believer, potential believer, used to believer, if all you have done is hear the word, but you have not understood it, you're not a finished product yet. Don't make any decisions too quickly when you're just a hearer and not yet an understander. Man, this happens. This happens a lot. I've seen these hard hearts. First of all, I have seen it, and we've talked about this before, that People, especially, especially folks who have grown up in the church, who have heard our native language for so long that sometimes they nod their heads in agreement, not because they understand it, but because it's familiar, right? So I trot out a huge word like sanctification, but maybe not a huge word, just like salvation. What does it mean to be saved? And people, sometimes people will, um, I, I so know that word. I have heard it so many times before. Sanctification, amen. Well, what does it mean? No clue, but I've heard it so many times before. What about holiness? Now, there's a buzzword. We are a holiness denomination, and holiness under the Lord, I believe, is still our watchword in song. I don't even know what a watchword is. Man, some of the hardest hearts I have ever seen that remind me most 
of this very hard path where the seeds don't seem to be able to penetrate. Some of the hardest hearts I've ever seen did not grow up outside the church. They grew up inside the church. They grew up inside the church. And at some point or another, perhaps their hearts were broken because Christians behaved badly. The only thing worse for a neighborhood than not having a church at all is having a bad one. The only thing worse than never being around a Christian is being around only one who does it really poorly. (laughs) I know some of these folks. I am in contact with some of these folks. I really enjoy. (laughs) You know how some people like to slow down when they see a car accident on the side of the road? I'm kind of that person when faith has come apart, I want to know what has happened. I will never forget sitting sitting across from a man who had a graduate degree in theology, who no longer believed and in fact lied his way through his graduate degree, even taught Sunday school in a local church. I will never forget sitting across from this man as he wept and said to me, I wish I could believe. I sat across from another man who called himself an atheist. Um, I know the atheists exist, right? I know that they do. But sometimes people who refer to themselves as atheists, really what they are, are desperately disappointed in what they've seen in Christians and churches. Folks, We have had ministry interns here (laughs) that we have coddled and protected and shepherded, that we have fed and nourished as best we can. And they get ready to leave, and they're so excited. And I have been the guy who's been a little bit of of, uh, rain on that parade, and I've said, hey, please be careful. Please be careful. Please make sure that you interview that board just as much as they're going to interview you. I have seen folks wander into ugly church situations and wander away, not just from the church, but from faith. I'm telling you, the hardest soil I've ever seen, I've seen in people who grew up in the church. This is part of the reason I'm so grateful for you. (laughs) This is part of the reason I'm so grateful for you You're a good place to heal. You're a good place to ask the hard questions. You're a good place to be in pain, actually. You're a good, healing, helping church. I've seen this, too. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet such a person has no root but endures only for a while, and when trouble or persecution arises on account of the word, that person immediately falls away. Really important phrase here. When trouble or persecution arises on account of the word. Hear me say this. Christianity is super hard. Super hard. 
It's super hard because in Christianity, what we're supposed to do is follow around this Jesus, and you kind of see how it worked out for him. Christianity is difficult. It asks us at every turn to deny ourselves. Jesus goes as far as to say, deny yourself and take up your cross. That's just pain after pain after pain. Christianity is difficult. Now, I have known a lot of Christians who can be super Christian when the service is just right, maybe it's a camp service, maybe it's a local church service, maybe it's a general assembly service, maybe it's an NYC service, and so long as you have all of those holy goosebumps, and trust me, I believe in the validity of holy goosebumps. I really do. I, I think holy goosebumps are a good thing. They're a happening thing. It's not a bad thing at all. Here's the problem. Here's the problem. If that is the sum total of your Christian experience, you're in shallow ground. Because Christianity, by the time you get out into the real world, is hard. It's hard. And I have seen this I've seen people who, are say, who would say to me, I really need the music to be this because I really kind of need my hair to stand on end, you know. I really, I, I really need this or that and the other, and sometimes they want it louder and sometimes they want it softer. Sometimes they want it with organ. Sometimes they don't want any organ in the building. Sometimes they want guitar. Sometimes they don't. What they really want is the experience, you know, the, the goosebumps. And I'm fine with that as long as discipleship follows the goosebumps. Because we're not just about hearing and experiencing, we're about understanding. I miss these high school kids that are normally right here. A whole bunch of them are in Toronto, Canada, doing really, really hard work. It is a war of attrition. Those Toronto trips are very difficult. They, they are in a, they're in a mission trip, but what might also be called an immersion experience into poverty and even homelessness. Every day, they're getting up early. They are going to work with kids who are locked in some sort of cycle of poverty. They are subjected to all of the different, the evils of the inner city that continue to subtract dignity and subtract resource from all these people. And we send our high school kids, my daughter's there too, we send our high school kids there for 10 days, for 10 days, to make sure that they understand that Christianity works. It works all the way through the ground, but it is not easy And it's not easy. Toronto kids come back with soil that's just a little bit deeper. <laughs> Africa folks, they go on a mission trip, they come back with soil just a little bit deeper. What are you doing to deepen your soil? So that we can move, all of us together, you and me, so that we can move from just hearing to understanding. What are you doing? The wrong answer is nothing. What are you doing? As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the lure of wealth choke the word, and it yields nothing. I know a lot of these people. When we gather every week and I say to you, 
God's mind about you is made up and the news is good. We all make a mistake who feel like faith stops at that point. The faith process does not stop at that point. You and I must remain focused and diligent to be able to hear this word and message of grace, not just on a Sunday, but throughout the week. In fact, the work that we do here together, and by the way, the word liturgy actually means the work of the people, the work that we do, we do, again, not to change God's mind about us, but to change our minds about God. So that through the week, as we drive, as we go home, as we go back to work, we can remain mindful of this very important fact that God's mind about us is made up so that we can maintain this posture of gratitude. And I'm telling you, there's a wisdom that comes with gratitude. There's a wisdom that comes with gratitude that moves you toward Christ's likeness. And we do the work that we do. We do this work on a regular basis, on a weekly basis, to keep all of us, me included, mindful of this very important gospel point that the entirety of faith, the entirety of my relationship with God starts with God and God's heart for me and God's choice for me. But People, if we do not do the requisite things that we need to do, if we do not on a regular basis do the worshiping sorts of things that we need to do, it's not that God will change God's mind about us, it's that we won't know anything about what it is that God feels for us. Can we go back to your devotional life? Oh, great, John. (laughs) Devotional life. Let me tell you why you need to have devotions. It's not because God will be upset with you if you don't. It's because it's a great way to stay in touch with the gospel truth of grace. And if you don't, then you will worship at another altar called wealth or world. Remember the rich young ruler? Jesus says, I have all of this seed for you, rich young ruler. Look at all of this seed. I have all of this seed for you. Rich young ruler ultimately said, "Uh, I have another God I have to worship. But as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case, a hundredfold, in another 60, and in another 30. This is amazing return on investment. Amazing. So big that it would have caught the attention of the farmers or anyone with any kind of farming experience. A hundredfold. They were having parties if they had sevenfold return on their seed investments, a hundred was just unimaginable. But I've seen a hundredfold return on investment. I've seen it. I've seen an investment made in, let's say, a child or an investment made in a teenager return over the course of that teenager's lifetime a hundredfold or more. I've seen it. There once was a little girl, wounded by the church. 
because she saw the church wound her parents. She saw the church wound her parents, and as a result, at the tender age of six, she lost everything. Everything. Including her faith. So much so that by the time that the family would really relocate and, and actually come here, this young lady was pretty bold and pretty confident as she said, none of this is real. None of this is real. This doesn't work. This is all made up. Said it right out loud. You know, most of us at least have the decency to keep that to ourselves. She said it right out loud. And here was the response from her children's pastor. You're still welcome here. You will always be welcome here. I was asked not too long ago, by a skeptic, I was asked not too long ago, hey, when does anybody get saved? When does anybody get saved around here? When are they not? Man, I don't know if you know Bob Corey, but that is one beautiful man. I met with Bob Corey just the other day, and he was telling me, he said, Pastor, we had some guys coming from the Carver Center not too long ago, and you may not know this, but one of the guys that we were bringing over from the Carver Center was an avowed witch who's actually in the Wiccan tradition, and he actually said to me, the only reason I'm coming is because I get out of that jail for a little bit, but I don't want you talking to me about any of this faith stuff. And Bob said, all right, all right, just keep coming, just keep coming. After a few months, asked Bob to go with him to the altar to accept Christ. Turns out this man also had a wife. Strangely enough, it was his girlfriend at the time, also a witch. He said to her, honey, you need to come. You need to come to this. You need to meet me at this church. She said, no, I'm a witch. I won't do that. He said, just, just come with me. She finally relented and came. A few months later, she knelt. You didn't know this, did you? She knelt and received Christ. Here's what I've noticed. Jesus Christ draws a distinction between hearing and hearing and understanding. Seems to me the difference between hearing and understanding, or maybe a better way to say it, here's how we get from hearing to hearing and understanding. Somebody takes us by the hand and walks us all the way to hearing and understanding. And maybe that's in a Sunday school class. Maybe that's in a small group. Maybe that's because a pastor takes your hand and walks you that way. I'm not sure. But I am sure, I am sure that we need one another if hearing is ever going to become hearing and understanding. Hey, church, I don't care how long you've been in the church. If, you're not, if you are not involved in your own life of faith, if you're just banking on this grace part, but you're not participating in it in any way, then yours is not a responsible faith. Listen, God's mind about you is made up. And again, the news is what? Yeah, it's super good. But only the people who participate 
who perhaps are taken by the hand and moved from hearing to hearing and understanding will be able to live out this posture of gratitude that always moves us toward wisdom. Always moves us toward wisdom. By the way, that young lady I talked to you about before, so damaged by a church, relocated here, outspoken that she did not believe. She believes now. She's getting baptized today. Her name is Sadie. Guys, go ahead and find your way over to, now I've asked all kinds of permission to tell that story. And I've gone back and forth on whether or not to tell it, but when I read her testimony, she tells it, so I thought I could too. (laughs) But I want to say to you again, I want to say to you again, oh, we're going to relocate to all get a good seat. That's a good idea. I want to say this to you again. And this goes in that last question. What is the gospel in this passage? Here's the gospel in this passage. (laughs) There are a couple of really big, huge gospel moments in this passage, and the first one goes like this. Ready? No matter what kind of soil you are today, whether you're the hard ground or the thorny ground or the shallow soil, no matter what kind of soil you are today, God will be around pretty soon throwing seed again. And you will always have the next opportunity. Now, you will always have the opportunity to deny it and refuse it and ignore it. But God will be back with seed. Here's the second gospel moment in this for us. We really can be used like tools in the hands of God to help handhold and draw people from hearing to hearing and understanding. God really does use us to impact one another. And my question is, who's leading you? And the question that's just as important goes like this, who are you helping? Who are you helping? All right, here's how we do baptisms around here. If you're visiting, welcome, you're gonna enjoy this. We all have a part in baptism because there's a real sense in which Sadie is initiated and adopted into this family in a very official sort of way. And so when she comes up out of the water, Sadie, what we're gonna do is holler and scream and clap like crazy people. Am I right about this? Am I right about that? Yes, so we're gonna practice that, okay? One, two, three. Yeah, very good, very good. So as is our custom, we're going to hear her testimony read by her mom, and then Lisa's going to walk us through this very important ritual, and Sadie, we are so happy for you, and can't wait to see what God's going to do in and through and with you. All right, well, guys, um, obviously, in the process of this, I received a huge blessing. I um, asked her parents if I could start meeting with Sadie and um, if we could just have conversation. So our very first time to meet, I just told Sadie, Sadie, ask any question you want. I am open and I am here just to, to do the best I can and asking any, or answering any question. And we just began to um, allow God's presence to be with us and for her to ask the questions And God made our space and our time together very comfortable and very open. And that was the one thing I said to Sadie when she came uh, and kind of boldly said, I don't believe, is I just said, just be open. Just remain open. 
and let's see what God's spirit might do. And guys, he was so faithful. Sadie is an amazing, amazing girl. Her depth of understanding as we talked and as we um, understood and began to discover who God was together, her depth of understanding God's spirit has been with her and has guided her. So it's been a huge blessing for me, Sadie, to be a part of those conversations. And we're going to continue doing them. I have 10 questions on my desk right now that she brought to our last baptism class. So we will get to those. Um, but it has been my pleasure to journey with her. And, um, and I just thank God. I thank God for the ways in which he works. I thank God for your boldness. I thank him for the ways in which you were able to be open with us about your doubt. That is beautiful. It is beautiful because it opens the door for God's spirit to work. So I am so thankful. Sadie, this is a blessed day for me as well and to be a part of it. I love you from the very depth of my heart. Sadie, I now have to ask you some questions. Oh, and I want you guys to know something very special. Sadie, once she decided, I do believe, in one of our last sessions she told me, I'm about to believe. I mean, she really knew she was ready <laughs> to, to believe. And, uh, and it was on my way back from a wedding that her mom texted me and said, Lisa, Sadie wants to be baptized. She believes. Sadie looked ahead on the calendar. I mean, this has been a couple months, or it was the first of June. Um, and Sadie chose her birthday to be baptized. So today is Sadie's birthday. And we are recognizing her birth into the family of God today as well. So this is a special day for Sadie. And I drove back from camp last night to be here for this special day. So it just makes it special all the way around. We love you, Sadie, and we're so excited. We need to ask you these questions now. Are you ready? Okay. Have you accepted Jesus as your personal Savior? Yes. Have you rejected evil and turned away from sin in your life? Yes. I anoint you with oil. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that God will heal you of all sin, evil, and any hurt in your life. And now we will hear your statement of faith. When I was six, I moved to Oklahoma from Massachusetts. I lost everything, my friends, my house, my pet, and my hope. When I moved, I tried so many churches, but this was my favorite. At first, I did not believe in God, but then I got to know these amazing people. My hope was restored, and I am ready not to be two, but one with God. When you follow Jesus, it does not mean you have the perfect life, but to live knowing you are forgiven. For God is the only perfect one. Amen. And for her verse, what we've done is actually um, done kind of a Bible mashup. Typically, you don't want to do this, but uh, for this situation, it seems appropriate. We've taken Rhonda's life verse and added one to it for Sadie, and hopefully she'll do the same for her daughter when she's baptized. Mm. So we've taken Joshua 1.9 and Jeremiah 29.11. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They're plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. Amen, amen. 
Cassidy Grace Westcott. I now baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And now may God fill you full of his light. May your light shine. May his light shine in you wherever you go. May it shine in how you live, love, and relate to those around you. May God use you in a powerful way to be um, a sower of good seed. That you may bring other people into relationship with God. And now may God fill you full with his spirit so that you may walk in his ways all the days of your life. <coughs> Amen. Thank you, Sadie. Thank you, Westcott. If you're helping us today to serve the Lord's Supper, would you go ahead and come on? Gather here so that we can, again, take that posture. We are working at it again now. This is that moment in the service, that moment in the service where we take the posture of gratitude, take this posture of receiving that which can't be gotten any other way. We receive in the hopes of being shaped to be the people of God beyond these walls. Heavenly Father, bless these elements and by them strengthen us to be your people. Make us more than what we would have been otherwise, Lord. Keep us somehow, at least a while longer, in this understanding, this gratitude that shapes who we are, and how we do what we do, and how we say all that we say. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet, to exit your pew to the left, and to come forward with your hands cupped to receive this gift of grace, to receive this gift of grace that can't be gotten any other way. You can't buy it, you can't charge it. But receive this gift of grace, a little piece of bread. When you do, that person holding the bread will say to you, this is the body of Christ broken for you. Before you eat that bread, though, dip it into the cup. Someone standing right there will be holding a cup. Dip it into that cup, and that person will say, the blood of Christ shed for you. And then take and eat. And then I hope you will find a place to pray. Now, it could be at one of these side padded altars. If you go to one of these side padded altars, we will assume that you are there for a prayer for healing. And it doesn't matter what kind of healing that you need today, whether it's physical, mental, emotional, spiritual, relational, familial, someone will meet you there and pray a very powerful prayer for healing at these side padded altars. Or perhaps you'd like to come to one of these Mourner's benches, kneeling benches here. We won't assume anything. No matter what kind of prayer you come to pray here, we won't assume a thing. But we will make sure that you are not praying alone. We will be there at some point to touch you on the head, the back, your shoulder, your neck, just to make sure that you understand that you are not alone. It was on the night he was betrayed that our Savior took bread 
blessed it and he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body broken for you. Every time you eat of it, remember me. Later on after dinner, he took the cup, held it up before them and said, and this is my blood, the blood of a new covenant. And every time you drink of it, remember me. If for some reason you feel like this is a good time to pray through the state of your soul, the state of your soil, we would be happy to pray along with you, no matter what it is that you're praying about today, no matter what kind of soil you dragged in here with you today, we are happy to pray this prayer along with you. And now all across the sanctuary, if you would, stand to your feet, exit your pew to the left, and come forward with your hands cupped, ready to receive the gifts of God meant for the people of God.
Father, we begin this prayer by confessing that at times we are not the right kind of soil. There are times, Lord, when we have allowed ourselves to drift from hearing and understanding to just hearing. Recognize, Lord, that we have it in us to be hard-hearted, shallow, distracted. What we want and need is to be taken by the hand and guided toward understanding in God. We today pray a great prayer of thanksgiving that you always show up to give us another chance, one more chance, the next chance. And now, God, would you send those people to us who can help to move us step by step, a little bit at a time, toward that place where we don't just hear the word, actually understand and we demonstrate that understanding by how we live our lives Heavenly Father we bring other requests and concerns to you now if you are aware of someone in your life within arm's reach who needs that prayer for healing and this is a good time to pray that prayer. I would encourage you to be as specific as you know how, but pray, pray for that person that's in need of God's healing touch right now. And pray for LaDonna Bennett, who's facing another surgery here very soon. Pray for LaDonna and Larry, that God would use the normal tools of science and medicine to heal or that God would do something miraculous that cannot be explained in any other way, we'll take either one. But pray for LaDonna's healing. to you all of those who are sick, hurt, isolated, alone, and wounded, and we'd ask that you would heal. We're happy for you to use us to work in and through us to bring healing grace into someone else's life, mind, heart. pray very specifically for LaDonna Bennett today. God, would you communicate through doctors and nurses, procedures and medicines, would you communicate to her so that she cannot miss it, so her family cannot miss it, that you love her. May she see all of the doctors and the nurses. May she see all of it as evidence of your love for her. of the family sleep at night in the deep and full knowledge that you passionately love LaDonna Bennett. 
May she see it in our faces. May she see it and hear it in our conversations. May we too be more and more evidence that you are around, that you are present, that you are active and moving, and that you love LaDonna Bennett. God, we pray for our kids in Toronto. We pray for our kids at camp. That you would be especially close, yes, protecting and guiding, but also teaching. May they be the good kind of soil so that they can hear and understand and return to us changed, different, so that we might be led by their experiences. Now, church, as we draw this time of prayer to a close, direct your eyes to the screens where we have the Lord's Prayer, another prayer, another way that we can stay in tune with the gift and the grace of God in ways that should move us toward gratitude. And we will pray this prayer today using debts and debtors. Let's pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever.